This is a Federal News Network podcast. At the Justice Department, assistant U.S. attorneys and trial attorneys are both, well, lawyers that do litigation, but they work under different pay systems. The assistant U.S. attorneys say that, on the whole, everyone else earns more. And they've asked the department's management division to move them from administratively determined pay to the regular general schedule, like the trial attorneys. Adam Hanna is an assistant U.S. attorney in Illinois and co-chair of the Compensation Committee of the National Association of U.S. Attorneys. He talked about the pay issues with Tom Temin. So for many years, assistant U.S. attorneys have been compensated under the administratively determined pay system. Uh, that's established under 28 U.S.C. 548 instead of the general schedule. Uh, The AD system has been formed as a broad-based, performance-based pay system. And the problem with that is that it has, over the years, resulted in the systematic undercompensation of AUSAs compared to our colleagues in the litigating divisions in the department. And what do AUSAs exactly do that's different from what the trial attorneys do? Just give us a sense of the job here. So AUSAs are situated throughout the country and work under the 93 U.S. attorneys that are appointed by the President of the United States. Many of the biggest criminal cases that you'll see in the news today are being prosecuted by assistant U.S. attorneys. We go up against the best lawyers in the country on the private side, and we're often successful. Uh, AUSAs work both as criminal prosecutors, prosecuting individuals for committing federal criminal offenses, and also as civil attorneys who defend the United States' interests in district courts all across the country. And the trial attorneys, it sounds like they do the same thing. The trial attorneys have, like we do, the authority and ability to appear in district court on behalf of the United States of America. However, the trial attorneys are mostly situated in the nation's capital, and they travel throughout the country to work on more specialized pieces of litigation. So, for example, tax litigation or civil rights litigation, or particularly unique and high-exposure tort cases. So they are specialists in certain areas of the law. However, I think that what we do is very much the same. We hold trial attorneys in high esteem. We think they do a great job, and we'd like to be paid on the same system that they are. Now, you have written to Lisa Monaco. She's the deputy attorney general, I guess, in charge of the management division. And what it seems to say is that there are a greater number of the trial attorneys at a higher scale on a percentage basis than there are of the AUSAs. That's right. So let's talk about that. And my question then is, for a given job and career experience, do you get the same pay or lower? So AUSAs receive lower pay for doing essentially the same type of work. And in a recent study, NASA was able finally to come up with a comparison that really shows how stark this disparity is. We were able to compare the salaries of AUSAs against the uh, number of attorneys in the litigating division, the trial attorneys, who are at or above the GS-15 rate. And we discovered that only 65% of AUSAs earn at or above the GS-15 rate, whereas in the litigating division, that number is almost always 90% or higher. So for example, in the criminal division in Washington, 97% of attorneys are at or above the GS-15 level, whereas AUSAs, again, doing much the same work out in the districts across the country, only 65% of those attorneys are at or above that same level. But are you able to equalize that number or correct it for length of service of the different people? So we are able to make comparisons based on length of federal service. And even by that metric, it's clear that AUSAs are underpaid by twenty dollars to $40,000 a year at almost every level of experience. 
We're speaking with Adam Hanna. He is the assistant U.S. attorney for Illinois and the co-chair of the Compensation Committee of the National Association of Assistant U.S. Attorneys. And what was the response you've gotten so far from Ms. Monaco and generally from justice? So we met with the deputy attorney general and her staff on August 16th. It was a productive meeting. They were receptive to our point of view. And so we followed up with a letter that just went out on September 13th. To date, we have not received a response. That's not surprising because in part right now, the Justice Department is still transitioning to the Biden administration. There are virtually no U.S. attorneys appointed by the Biden administration in office right now. And so much of the work of the Justice Department is still in transition. So I'm not surprised that we haven't heard back. And because you are in a national association of, is that a bargaining unit that you use to bargain with the Justice Department over everything but pay since federal employees can't bargain over pay? We are not a bargaining unit. We are a voluntary professional association of assistant U.S. attorneys. So we are interested in criminal justice issues. We're interested in federal employee issues. We are not a union. Got it. But there is a compensation committee. So what do you look at? I guess this particular issue or anything else? Yeah, so this has been our primary issue going back for decades because the issue for with AUSA pay is one that has endured through virtually every presidential administration in the last 20 years. So our compensation committee is composed of AUSAs from across the country who study this issue. We issue Freedom of Information Act requests to the department to obtain the data that we need to perform these analyses. And then we get engaged in advocacy, both at the department and on the Hill, to try to remedy this issue once and for all and and treat AUSAs equally to our colleagues uh, elsewhere in the department. Sounds like, though, that they would need to have some appropriation relief in order to just raise salaries en masse. I mean, how do you envision this actually coming about to get that pay parity? I think that's right. I think there is a financial aspect to this, but I think that in the big picture of the federal government budget and the Justice Department budget, it is not a huge amount of money we're talking about. There have been some estimates as low as $42 million to correct this disparity for AUSAs across the country. We would support the department putting this in their budget request to the Congress and hopefully getting an appropriation that allows the department to continue doing all the things that it's doing now, but also to bring pay equity for AUSAs. And because you're not a union, but rather a professional association of federal employees, you really can't address Congress personally. We, on a fairly regular basis, do appear in front of Congress and provide testimony and expert advice on justice-related issues. So we are actively engaged on the Hill. We have a legislative staff in Washington that reaches out to members of Congress on our behalf. And we try to be a good resource. We're not just up there with this ask, but we try to be a good resource on criminal justice issues, on civil justice issues in the country, and provide accurate and timely information to Congress. And this is one piece of advocacy that we're involved in. And what kind of reception then have you had so far? So I guess the issue may ultimately fall to an appropriations subcommittee somewhere, but we're regularly in contact with staff uh, on the Judiciary Committee about this issue and about others that affect AUSAs and the federal criminal justice system. And you mentioned there are, of course, 93 appointed U.S. attorneys. How many AUSAs are there? Nationwide, there's a little over 6,000 assistant U.S. attorneys, and the ranks have grown in recent years. The department has added new AUSAs to meet particular needs and to focus on particular priorities. But as we've grown our ranks, we still haven't achieved pay parity for those folks who are coming on board as AUSAs. And fair to say the average workload per attorney is the same or roughly the same for the AUSAs and the other trial attorneys? 
It's hard to say. I think the jobs are very different. I would submit that AUSAs are probably in front of federal district judges more often than the average trial attorney at the department. But those trial attorneys are often working on very thorny legal issues that involve nationwide matters. And so the, the job is different in that I think there's more in-person litigation done by AUSAs, but our trial attorney colleagues are certainly working on difficult and important legal issues in litigation. Adam Hanna is an assistant U.S. attorney in Illinois and co-chair of the Compensation Committee of the National Association of U.S. Attorneys. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive, and you can hear the Federal Drive on demand. Just subscribe on Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most 
was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. 
It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally and, agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.